Welcome to this week's edition of No Presidium's Review Crew. We're back after a long weekend and a break last week. I am your host for today, Kevin Gossett, LA, uh, the LA Review's editor for NoPro, and I'll pass it to the rest of the crew for introductions, and we'll start with Edward, who is, I think, your first time on the show today. Yeah, that's right. Hi, I'm uh, Edward Milchrist. I'm a New York City correspondent, currently coming to you from my kitchen table. Um, and very pleased because England have uh, almost guaranteed that it is coming home. Uh, football is coming home uh, this year. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to talking to you guys about what hap what's happening here in uh, New York. I'll pass it to Ali next. Hi, I'm Allie. I'm also in New York, uh, tuning in from my bed in Brooklyn because I'm a grandma and I have to get up to teach really early tomorrow. Um, yeah, that's me. <laughs> and then we'll bring it back to the West Coast with Laura. Hi, this is Laura Hess. I'm uh, an LA correspondent and the arts editor. So if you haven't listened to the show before, this is generally based off the review rundown that goes out earlier in the week on NoPro. Um, we chat about some things that we covered there and let people uh, dive into the coverage, whether it's uh, in person, uh, online, uh, in a box. So um, actually, and then we'll kick it off today with Edward, because this is your first time on the show. Uh, let us know what you're covering and uh, go from there. Cool. Awesome. Well, I uh, have been very pleased to be able to see a few items over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Immersive is definitely coming back to New York City, um, or probably the better way to say it is um, experiences which want to call themselves immersive are coming back to the city. Um, that's been a running thread over the last couple of shows that I've seen. Um, some beautiful shows, some lovely things, uh, but unfortunately, they tend to use the word immersive as that classic buzzword, this is going to get lots of attention. Um, so that's been a little bit of a shame uh, for some of the things that I've seen. Uh, if they had just been regular pieces of theatre, it would be great to review that and say, yeah, this is awesome, this is great. But for us specifically, coming from NoPro and from everything immersive, um, if it's not really meet meeting the criteria that it says it is, it's a bit of a disappointment, really. However, the show that I'm really pleased to be able to share with you guys uh, today is the show Know Thyself, which is spelt no as in K-N-O-W, Know Thyself, um, which is by Jessica Crean and her company I Can't Go On, uh, which is an amazing uh, philosophical pun there on, uh, on can't and all of that stuff. Um, Jessica is an amazing artist who's working here in New York City. Uh, she came uh, onto the immersive um, spotlight through her show Chaos Theory, which uh, I was actually able to see one of the very first performances of here in New York, uh, and I reviewed that a few years ago. That then has uh, evolved into an online uh, piece of theatre, which was uh, well received over the course of 2020. Uh, but she's now brought this new show uh, to uh, New York City, Know Thyself, and really it's an invitation uh, to Philosophy 101. Um, you uh, go to the space, which uh, at the moment is in Caveat here in New York City, uh, which has been transformed into the Museum of Philosophical Experiences, uh, otherwise known as MOPE. And you are invited to MOPE along with uh, our uh, tour guide for the evening, Betsy. Um, now this, uh, Betsy is played by Jessica herself, and she has an amazing performance of uh, being able to show both a calming presence, like a preschool teacher, 
but at the same time, she is discussing and sharing philosophical ideas and dilemmas, which are like way, way beyond uh, my experience and way up into the uh, upper echelons of uh, college life. Um, but the piece is uh, really lovely. It's an invitation for us to the audience to discuss amongst themselves with each other a whole series of philosophical conundrums and issues. And the way that it works is that around the room are uh, these uh, very daunting looking boxes and inside each box is an experience or an exhibit. Um, and inside each of those is a chance for us to uh, play some games which uh, which bring uh, forward like these philosophical ideas uh, for us to play with in a very real way. Um, so for instance, there's one where suddenly we start discussing the classic trolley problem, uh, but it's done through a uh, game design which Jessica herself uh, has has made. Now Jessica, as well as doing immersive stuff, uh, Miss Cream uh, is a wonderful game designer and has a background in that. And so she has found a really um, exquisite way of bringing philosophical ideas and thoughts and bringing it into like a board game um, sphere. Uh, so the audience are able to play, we interact with each other. Um, and there's a wonderful mechanic where throughout the evening we are sharing our revelations that we find and we write them down on pieces of paper we put them in our own little uh, mini box, our own mini exhibit. And at the end of the show, uh, I don't know how much I can spoil or not, but something happens to the boxes in a way that is irreversible and is quite beautiful and lovely. Um, the materials that she's using are simple, but really, really effective. And it was a delight to take part. Um, it's one of those shows that is just clever, like in every sense of the word, it is a clever piece of theater. Um, and it was great to be able to go see that. Uh, it's running at caveat and it's it has one of those uh, ongoing until it's not uh, any more sort of um, schedules. Uh, but for anyone in New York City, uh, I would highly, highly recommend uh, checking out Know Thyself uh, while they can. The question, um, what is this, the, when you're talking about the different boxes and um, these sort of, you know, mini exhibits within the show, are, is, this, is this a communal experience, but it's self-driven in terms of how you experience those? Or is everyone experiencing those little mini exhibits and, and whatever's inside and, and whatever response you might have? Are you, are you all experiencing that simultaneously as a group? Great question. So there are a few uh, in the opening portion of the museum, you're invited to ex explore some of them on your own. And you're, you go and look at one and you look at another. During the show itself, uh, we are guided around by Betsy. Uh, she takes us to look at this exhibit and this exhibit. Um, and of course, there's a Schrodinger's cat box, which is fantastic. Uh, and the whole idea is that the audience, we are interacting with each other as well as interacting with the box. And so, for instance, in that exhibit, uh, the room, the audience was divided in two. And we had to make a choice about whether into this box we were going to put uh, a mask for the, uh, like a gas mask for the cat or no gas mask for the cat. And on the other side, we had to decide whether we were going to be the ones to put gas in or not put gas in. Uh, and there was like a, a great way of, uh, they would be alive in one situation, they would not be alive in the other, but we wouldn't know because the other half of the audience were making the other decision. Uh, so it was a really wonderful way of like audience agency, if that makes any sense at all. I didn't explain that well, I'm sure. No, no, I think it was clear. That's really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. And so how you mentioned that it kind of like made the philosoph like philosophy like approachable. Um, how do you feel about that as kind of like an immersive topic? Like, is it well suited for this this medium or how, how sure. well was that incorporated? I mean, that's an interesting one because it, some of the topics can be quite heady. I mean, it, it's, it's philosophy 101, but for people who have been doing it for a few years, I think, 
but Jessica has an amazing way of bringing it in a way that uh, whatever level of experience you have with these topics, it's approachable. Uh, so for instance, I know, uh, having had chats with the audience members, there were one or two people who mastered in philosophy and had done the whole collegiate stuff and they had a great time, as well as uh, regular old plebs like me, who just like going to see uh, immersive theater shows. Um, so the immersive aspect of it, I think, is one of the things that really brought it to life in a way that you could connect with the ideas and connect with um, what she was trying to put across through the, uh, through the game design. Um, and one of the things I didn't mention is that at the end, there was a gift shop, and it was an actual gift shop where you could purchase versions of the board games that you had played throughout the evening, which is another really lovely touch and a great way to supplement the uh, the show so that people could then experience it at home. So there's a version of the trolley problem or a version of um, all of these other ideas that she has that you could take home with you, which I thought was a, a really nice touch. Yeah, that is, a, that is a nice touch. I feel like sometimes there's always like things you take home with immersive theater like you know, walk over with some kind of object everybody's i'm sure has some kind of box at this point but really are they like something you can kind of go back and like appreciate like uh like a game like that that's that's a cool touch yeah absolutely this was a a really lovely piece and like i say it is clever in its in its approach clever in its direction um clever in the writing uh the introduction to the whole world was through a um a puppet show, a puppet show using an overhead projector. Um, but the puppets got increasingly more complex and suddenly one is 3D and turns to look at the audience and it's it's fantastic, like really clever stuff that gets you thinking. And I think that's a beautiful thing for immersive that it's, it can be something where we experience a show and we enjoy it, but we come away, like you say, with something, uh, either physical or something to take home and to contemplate further and to think about. Um, and this piece really did that. so. Uh, congratulations to Jessica and the team uh, for that one. Yeah. Did you have a sense of, I mean, I'm so interested that there's, you know, two of the people that you chatted with had all of this expertise and education around philosophy. Did you have a sense of how much the audience was made up of people more like you that have a real love and, um, you know, frequent immersive shows and that that's, that was their primary motivator? Or did you feel like the primary motivator, based on what you know about the other attendees, the other participants, did you feel like it was the subject matter that was their primary motivator and they weren't very knowledgeable or had a lot of familiarity with immersive? So I think Jessica has started to make a niche for herself here in New York as someone who is making great work and particularly in the immersive sphere. Um, and I think a lot of people were able to experience chaos theory over this past year who wouldn't have if they if we hadn't had the whole online pandemic, but being able to have uh, theater more accessible that, that way. Um, from what I could tell, it was probably about 50-50. There were some people who were going there to experience a philosophical idea, uh, like a, a show. Caveat as a, um, as a space often has uh, pieces that go there, which are pushing the boundaries of, of thinking. It's like a think place. Um, lots of podcast recordings there and uh, interesting subjects there. So there was definitely a caveat audience, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. But there were also plenty of LARPers uh, there. I, I happen to have seen a few who I've played with before. So LARPers there, there are other immersive fans. So there's a real great mix of people. So I think it's um, it, it has the scope and I think it, it's designed in such a way that it can be accessible uh, to those who want a philosophical evening, those who want an immersive evening, and those who just want an interesting evening of fun. Um, yeah. Right, right. It sounds great. 
honestly, yeah. it's it's beautiful. And uh, I mean, for instance, one of the the, the first things that uh, she was talking about explaining these boxes which are around the room, they're like these huge like monolith type things, right? Like these are not small boxes, they're huge boxes. And inside is a beautifully like detailed diorama, which is like explaining the game before she explains the game. And she explains it like, oh, and of course there's the box on uh, on uh, that feeling of, of missing out on FOMO, uh, which unfortunately uh, isn't available today. Uh, which was just a beautiful way. It was beautiful to start, and immediately it was like, ah, oh, wait a minute, what am I missing out on? But uh, the other thing which I, I forgot to mention is that there are several um, turning points in the show which affect on which exhibits come in what order. Uh, and certainly for the show that I saw, uh, I think there were three or four boxes which we just didn't touch, um, which is quite beautiful. So there's definitely replayability. There's definitely a chance to go back. And obviously, because it's all about audience interaction, um, and I really got to know a couple of other audience members because we we're asking each other deep questions about, would you save this? Would you save that? Um, that sort of idea. It would change going back a second time. So um, like I say, I think it's been designed very smartly. I think it has great legs as an immersive piece. And I think it has the, the appeal that it can reach out to people who aren't just here on the NoPro uh, Discord or Slack or, or wherever we are. Right, right. And then, then one question, because I think this is this is one of like the first kind of shows with more people in it that I think we've had someone talk about since coming back from kind of the the pandemic and the lockdown. How did it feel to kind of be around like a a bigger group, and what was that experience like after the last yeah, like, um, year and a half or so? Absolutely. Um, that's been one of the sticking points for me about the immersive shows I've been seeing recently. I've been really careful about. I think it's important for us as writers and as reviewers to really call into question people who aren't quite following the protocols as they should be. Um, I'm pleased to say that for this one, everybody uh, who attends has had to have a vaccine uh, card with them. It was checked at the door. And so that was quite interesting. And one of the first things that when we were introduced was like, welcome to the space. Here's your box, which you're going to carry with you for the evening. If you're comfortable, um, please feel free to take off your mask and uh, and enjoy. If not, please keep it on. And of course, that just the idea of, of asking for consent, asking for how you want to come into the space um, is so important right now. And it was it was definitely still strange, though, uh, to see people with actual faces. Um, but it was lovely uh, to be able to share in that. And I think that really aided the um, aided the connection. I'm sure it's, I think it's, it'll be nice to get back to stuff where it's not not on a screen. Um, right. Just is very exciting here. And I think, uh, so let's toss it to Laura here. Um, I think maybe your show kind of falls into a similar kind of philosophical angle bucket, but in a uh, completely different direction. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And there's and there's definitely some there's some fun overlap, just like there's also puppets. Um, so this is uh, the plastic bag store, and this is by an artist named Robin Frohart. And um, so the plastic bag store is I'm going to try not to say too too much for anybody who is still going to potentially experience it, because there is an amazing reveal, and I just feel like it's it's so important that it be there as much as possible um, without me spoiling it. So the the concept is this is a, a mix of advocacy and entertainment um, around, as you may suspect from the title, our plastic crisis. Um, so Robin takes this very ubiquitous forever material that never decomposes and transforms it into, so there's a physical space, there is a physical installation, of a supermarket 
and everything inside is has been reconfigured to either be composed of plastic or it is thematically uh, designed around plastic. So for example, there are cardboard cereal boxes, but um, they have different names, different titles. It's all related to plastic. It's um, you know kind of punny on plastic. Even the ingredients list is really thoughtfully done for each product. They are completely different in which plastic materials it is made of. Um, so, uh, you know, there, there was like Vegemite, but it was called Bagamite. And then the ingredients list might be, you know, get very specific around which type of plastic bags it was made out of or plastic caps, that kind of thing. So the attention to detail was really incredible. This was not surface level. This was not that you just kind of walk in and, um, I mean, there were sushi rolls that were made completely out of plastic um, and they looked like sushi. I mean, from afar, it looked like a sushi roll, a cut roll. And so the core installation, which is free, um, is just wonderfully designed, very thoughtful, very, very detailed. But there's, and there's two ticketing options. Um, so you can go for the core installation or you can go for this immersive film experience, which is what I did and what I recommend to people because it's really the, the heart of the entire production. And so this is comprised of different films. There's three acts to the film. These are all projections. Um, the puppets were filmed, different types of puppetry. And, um, and then again, there's this uh, wonderful reveal. So the entire, I think what is so unique about this Certainly the multi-layered aspects to it. Um, and it, again, the attention to detail, but it's the mix of advocacy and entertainment that I think Robin and the just amazing artists, collaborative artists that were involved in this really, really threaded that needle. I mean, they really struck that balance between advocacy and entertainment. There's so much artistry. You, I mean, you marvel at these puppets, the people that are, um, manipulating the puppets, the design of the puppets, the writing of the story. It is so well done and it is infused with so much humor. So humor is utilized throughout the entire experience to a fantastic degree because I've worked in advocacy um, and social impact and it, it can be a very difficult arena. It can feel overwhelming for people on both sides of the equations, the ones that are promoting and the ones that are on the receiving end, um, on the sort of educational end of learning about whatever that topic is. It can feel overwhelming, it can feel really um, detailed, or it, not detailed, it can, well, hopefully, but it can also feel really um, labored. And it can just feel like, a, um, like an admonishment. And you feel like you're not motivated to actually do anything about the problem. You feel defeated because of how it's presented. And there are some very overwhelming problems out there and plastic is definitely one of them. The environmental crisis across the board, I think feels like there's a new, uh, you know, 100 year storm every week. So the way that they've interwoven this level of artistry and also this humor, it is so deftly done. And you have such an enjoyable experience um, 
that that feels incredibly energizing. It doesn't feel defeating. It feels incredibly energizing. Even if someone didn't care about the advocacy aspect, they would have a wonderful time. But I think that the real thing to champion here is being able to straddle that line between education slash uh, advocacy and entertainment. And so, um, yeah, I just cannot speak highly of this enough. I wish it were in Los Angeles longer. It closes this Sunday, July 11th. It was originally commissioned by Times Square Arts in New York. And it did have, I mean, there was a lengthy delay because of the pandemic, but it opened in Times Square, I believe it was October of last year. And um, it was produced there by Pomegranate Arts. And then it's through the Center of, uh, Center, what does CAP stand for? CAP UCLA, uh, Center of Arts Art and Performance. Arts of, Art of Performance. Yeah, yeah, so they are the ones that are sponsoring this LA outpost. And um, I'm hoping, I did ask, I said, is there any chance of an extension? Because it's so worthwhile. Um, so we'll see. I mean, my fingers are crossed for that. I don't think that there's been any announcement, um, but I'm hoping that the run can stay longer or even that they could come back at some point. It's such a great thing for people of all ages. I mean, this is something that kids would really enjoy and the films are so well done. Um, that I think that, again, the educational aspect is, is so important and so powerful, but this is also applicable for anyone. Anyone of any age, any background can go to this and have a great experience and then also hopefully take away some really important aspects about the environmental impact. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that it's uh, only running this weekend because I'm going to go try and buy tickets for it. I thought it was running longer for some reason. Yeah, no, I mean, it's such a quick, I think the total run is just two weeks and I managed to, um, you know, get in there at the beginning. And so I've been trying to tell people about it as much as possible because it really, especially for LA, it just feels like such a flash in the pan. It feels like, you know, it's here and gone. There's so much, I mean, we're very lucky to have so much to, to do, so many options. But then by the time you find out about something, um, it often is is ending the next day or you've just missed it. So I'm hoping that people will go and, and pack in for the remaining days and that maybe they'll be extended. If only there was a, yeah, I was gonna say, if only there's a website where people could submit their immersive uh, events that people could see them <laughs> all the time. Uh, if only there was a, something like everything, uh, everythingimmersive.com, that would be so so useful, I'm sure. Um, but Laura, I was gonna ask, the, the first section, which sounds great, how close would you say it is to like a selfie palace? Or is it really more like a uh, walkthrough and like enjoy the design thing? Or, or is, there, is there room for both uh, kind of audience member, do you think? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think that's completely applicable. And we, as I mentioned in my capsule review, I mean, people, you know, fans of Lucy Sparrow's All Felt Sparrow Mart and newer fans of Meow Wolf's Otherworldly Omega Mart might suspect a bit of a trend here. But first of all, we're talking about an incredibly ubiquitous place, uh, the, the supermarket. And I would say, I imagine there are some people that are going more just for the core installation as a, as a selfie museum um, kind of driver. And of course, there's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't interest me personally. Um, I think that the, the level of detail around things like the ingredients and when you really look at, I mean, there's trail mix, there's cupcakes, there's 
you know, bag and Jerry's and everything is, I mean, everything is manipulated, um, they, you know, they've tweaked it, they've repurposed it with this branding, um, with this sort of visual identity that's all geared around plastic. And so I found that I was, I mean, really sort of chuckling to myself and I love taking photos. I generally take a lot of photos and I wasn't taking quite as many because I was so delighted by all of the details. And I certainly did take photos of even the ingredients list, but it was really more about, because when you walk in, it looks very standard. And I think that's a thing that is the discovery of how they've changed it. Because from a distance, the Vegemite container, it looks like a standard Vegemite container. And so you really had to kind of get up and see how was this repurposed? How was it essentially rebranded into this, um, you know, plastic theme? So I feel like there was a lot more engagement around that kind of investigative aspect that I think you don't get in a more traditional selfie museum. So I think that is a, a great um, benefit to this experience. And then, yes, I, I mean, I really want to say so much more about the films and about the secret reveal. But for anyone that attends, it's just, um, it's so delightful. I have a question. Oh, Ali, go ahead. In the, throughout the whole event, um, was there any, like, focus on kind of, like, where all of our issues with plastic and like climate change and all that come from? Or was it, do you feel like it was placed more on the individual? Oh, okay. So you mean more like the systemic issues and these major corporations and industries? Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. That's a great question. Um, no, there, I would say there really isn't, I don't think, that there is a particular angle in terms of responsibility either way. They certainly aren't, again, it's not admonishing the individual, like you can be doing more, you should be doing more. But there are in these films, <laughs> there are puppet characters that do take personal responsibility. And you see that in different ways. And I think that, again, it's presented in such a way that it feels more hopeful and it does feel more like it's so positive when you step into your own accountability. But again, and Robin's been very clear. So there's there's two, you can find out information via the CAP UCLA website, and that's where you get tickets for this particular run. But the actual website for the experience is theplasticbagstore.com. And Robin, and on both websites, but especially on the actual installation site, um, Robin discusses this. I mean, she offers up that she didn't want to belabor the advocacy and, and, and contribute to that feeling of overwhelm. So I think that the main focus is around how do we do this? How do we deliver this messaging? in a way that feels relatable, it feels inspiring, it feels charming, even though that sounds like kind of an odd thing to say. Um, so the way that it, I left the experience was, again, sort of feeling more energized, but not in a, I mean, I already do a lot of these things, but like 
I have metal straws that I carry around if I'm out and about <laughs> straw. But like, I wasn't thinking, oh, I should make some of these very specific changes. I was more like, gosh, that was an amazing experience. And I felt more energized just around the general topic. Yeah, that's immersive. really exciting. That's really exciting, that immersive. Because uh, I think immersive events have so much potential to really impact individuals. I mean, the whole classic thing is, is people move to, to theater and to the arts when they want a message to have more impact. And we know that immersive can do that uh, tenfold. We can really impact people. So I think that's really um, exciting to hear that you have like real advocacy coming from uh, immersive creators. Um, were there any uh, uh, characters or actors for you to interact with, uh, cashiers or anything like that? Yeah, so I think similar to um, when you're talking about Know Thyself and how thoughtfully it was designed and produced, I think this is very similar. There are, um, I mean, the sound designer is there, the stage manager is there. They're all wearing grocery store type uniforms. They all have aprons on. Um, one detail that I thought was hilarious, because it was originally in Times Square, um, the all of the sort of workers of the space and actors of the space, they're wearing buttons on their apron. And one of the buttons is, ask me what the hell this is. Because they knew that there would be, I mean, pre-pandemic, I think there would have been an incredible amount of people coming through that space, you know, tourists and, and just walking through and, and wondering, what is this? Because of COVID, they did have to limit the number of participants or attendees in the space at any given time. But so there's these delightful touches. Um, and there are, so they are moving things around the space. The space actually does transform for the immersive experience. So they are um, manipulating items in the space to transform it. Uh, it was a one of the staff who said to me, be sure to look at the ingredients list as I was walking around. I hadn't even thought to do that. And then there are three performers that, um, again, as part of this delightful, mysterious reveal, you, you can interact with them, but it's more of a presentation. And it is, it's fantastic. So it's not the type of interaction that I think we tend to think of traditionally around immersive, where either you are going to influence any kind of the any aspect of the narrative arc. Um, that is not the case here. And it's situated in such a way, it's structured in such a way that um, your interaction with them is going to be limited, but that's absolutely fine. That's not a, a, a negative in any way. So there are people moving about the space that, again, really make it feel like it's a truly immersive experience in all the best ways. I wanted to come back to something Edward said, um, kind of about integrating these kind of advocacy or kind of talking about kind of climate change or kind of any of the ongoing crises too, and and bringing it into immersive because that was something uh, fire season did last year right. in LA, and I think it was it was something it was tonally very different, um, and it was kind of like a radio place. It wasn't as interactive, and I think given the time period, that was kind of what they could do. But I think it was very interesting that like that's. It's kind of an angle people are, are headed towards more, and I think it's like Edward said that it offers kind of opportunities to kind of discuss these topics in ways that that doesn't make you feel shitty, um, right. which I think is so often it's like it's hard to 
to not feel kind of powerless in the face of these things. Um, and I think coming at it through immersive, it, it does make it feel like more approachable and like, hey, maybe that like there's ways we can do things. And that was and the fire season ended. They gave you a card and like a zine and ways to kind of contact people and and reach out to organizations, which felt good too. It was it was actionable in a in a way that wasn't just like, oh, I'll 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 start using metal straws. I'll start using reusable plastic bags or kind of kind of these individual things. It was like kind of bigger, how to push for bigger and broader change, um, which I thought was an interesting element there. Um, and I wonder if we'll kind of start to see more of these as as these crises kind of do escalate and they become bigger and bigger and whether it's kind of an avenue to explore them and that uh, is a little bit easier to, to discuss them and kind of approach this topic. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. And I think that, so I actually haven't looked at the, um, there's an environmental toolkit and all of the advocacy or activist like programming add-ons, mm. those are presented more in the outdoor waiting area. And so again, I think that having this definitely integrated but also a bit separate, I think is a wonderful approach because there will be people that will just go to the plastic bag store for entertainment purposes only. And that's absolutely fine. I wonder though, how much of that may creep into their day-to-day -day habits that they may make changes. And I think then at the other end of the spectrum, you do have people that will want to know about what options they can do. Is there something new that they haven't done before? How can they get involved on a deeper level? And so I haven't actually downloaded the environmental toolkit to look at that, but there were legislation options of signing petitions. Um, so I think that, I think having this like integrated and in a very holistic way, is a great approach and I do hope that we see more of it. I think even if it's not top of mind for some people, like in, in the social entrepreneurship sphere, we have these one-for-one -one models. You know, we've got Warby Parker, we've got Tom's, we've got Bombas, you know, where they donate, when you buy something, they donate a single item to a community in need. And there's a lot of people that may not even know that about those companies or they may not care but it is still contributing to the world in a really positive way. And there are people that will seek out those companies because of that aspect. So I think as that becomes more of a standard practice in immersive, not of course for everything, but I think that, I think breaking down a lot of these silos between goals and intention, I think is a win for everybody. There's nothing about the advocacy for the, social, for, um, the plastic bag store that takes anything away from it it only enhances it so it's a great model for that there is nothing that is that feels either superfluous or that feels like it is again minimizing the experience in any way so i'm hoping that this can be a model and maybe there are other models out there that i'm not but i think this one at least from what i've seen is in the immersive space is a much more unique model. And I think it's been done so well that I'm hoping other immersive companies and creators and producers take this lead and incorporate some of these 
social impact aspects into other productions. Yeah, and I, I really, I really do kind of suspect we'll start to see a lot more of that going forward. Um, I think as people come out of the pandemic too, I wonder if that'll influence some of the destruction too, because we've seen I think a couple of those shows come out of out of that about not necessarily the pandemic, but come at some of these other topics. I think it's more ubiquitous with VR. You know, VR has been talked about as such a empathy driver, and that's that's true. I think it's a, a it's wonderful in that regard. So, um, but I think it's it's become more common that VR is used as this empathy driver, and I think having this example where it is a physical installation and um, and and live people and and again this very detailed multi-layered approach i think that's more of an outlier and i think again it's 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 such a fantastic outlier i hope it becomes less of an outlier over time for sure all right and now let's swing it to Allie to uh, close out the show with i think the watering hole yes i saw the watering hole which is at Signature Theater, um, and it was a project that was conceived and created by Lynn Nottage, um, and it was directed by, I think, Miranda Heyman, um, with a whole, like, varied ensemble of artists, and um, it was really interesting because I had never seen the Signature Theater in this, used in this kind of way. Like, they really did dive deep into trying to figure out how this, you know, arguably commercial theater could become an immersive space, which I thought was interesting. Um, but I think uh, on that same thought, bringing all these, like, typically commercial theater kind of people together to make an immersive piece they kind of missed a lot of nuance as well um so it's it's kind of on both sides like the work was really beautiful though um each individual artist had their own piece essentially and whether that was like a visual art installation or um like a voiceover that was laid over a like a visual art installation or a video piece um or there was even one piece that had a rap and like um a foot piano that you could play as the rap was happening so each artist in the ensemble really got their voice to shine because everybody had their own opportunity to speak in that sense um and all the content was kind of focused around water but interestingly enough it didn't have that like call to action about water, which is what I thought it was going to be about, uh, especially seeing like how there has been an interest in the art sector in advocacy, in climate advocacy and water conservation. I'm thinking specifically of Water, Water Everywhere um, two years ago, but it wasn't even about that. The call to action of the whole piece was actually to uh, kind of like hold theater accountable and to me it seemed kind of aimed at more commercial theater more kind of broadway land of uh, making sure that theater represents all the people who are making it and all the people who are engaging with it and 
um, redoing all of our systems that are harming artists of color and artists with disabilities and all these like marginalized and oppressed communities that are within our community. Um, so it was really interesting and I was kind of surprised about that. Um, but I think is it really aimed at, at people who, who kind of come from a theater background then, or is it is it kind of approachable for for anyone? That's a great question. I honestly have no idea who this was aimed at other than perhaps like the people who are holding the power in these systems, because there was nothing. This is what I mean, where it's kind of like was trying to ride the border of like the two worlds of being commercial theater and being like something that is distinctly immersive and kind of like experimental and independent. Um, so they, I feel like they kind of lost their voice a little bit about who this was for. Um, Cause at points like I wasn't even sure like, what am I doing here? But yeah, so, I don't know. So was it more of like a, a like a walking tour of the theater? Like was there like a, a narrative or a through line to help connect the dots or was it just left up to, to you to, to work out what was going on? There was no narrative. Um, it was kind of like cabaret or like open mic style, I would say. Like each piece existed in its own universe. And yeah, it was a walking tour and it was fully guided by a member of the Signature Theater, like front of house staff. Um, and that is, I think, a moment where they actually really failed to serve the piece because that was like so far outside of the world. Um, these staff members, they weren't like, there was no attempt to integrate them into the world. And it was just like every time a piece would end, they'd be like, all right, time to go to the next one. We're ready for you. And I was like, oh, oh cool. No. Yeah, it was really hard. Um, it's like so that's that such was... a, it, it's such a small detail, which I think people often overlook. Um, I, I saw a show, um, sorry, sorry, just to jump in on that one, just because it's, it's such an <laughs> interesting point, but like, I saw a show a couple of weeks ago called The Purple Room, which was all about the uh, Byzantine, Byzantine uh, era. It was all about uh, the emperors and empresses of that. Beautifully laid out set, all of that sort of stuff. But the one person who was guiding you through the space was dressed in a beautiful contemporary summer dress. And it just didn't make sense. At any time she spoke or said, move on to this section, it just took you completely out of, out of the world. And I'm just mm -hmm. looking at this going like, this is such a simple fix, like literally, give the girl a, a monk outfit, whatever, she can be a, a priestess. And immediately, it's part of the world, it's part of the story, and it aids the immersive journey. And it's something which I think creators are, it, it's such a, it can be an easy step, but it's one that so many, I think, are, are overlooking. Yeah, especially when those were the only live bodies in the room other than the audience. Like, I understand we're trying to find ways to make art without actors in the space without performers in the space but like that was one of the hardest parts because it honestly like it didn't even feel like theater it kind of just felt like a multimedia installation um because you know we were either watching a film or listening to an audio track and there wasn't really any meaningful engagement with the audience in that sense oh i misunderstood this so the okay i'm actually looking at their website right now i thought that the different artists that were presenting, you know, their their creative work. I thought that they were there. So now I'm understanding no. that's all separate installations, recordings, however it's presented. And mm -hmm. then yes, you're just being sort of shuttled to each separate installation. 
Oh, exactly. okay. Yeah, so it's kind of disappointing. Um, and that's, I think, what I what kind of mean when I'm talking about, like, they really tried to make it immersive, but they just kind of missed the mark. Yeah, okay. I think it goes back to something Edward was saying, too. It's like, I don't, people try to make things maybe immersive without understanding, like, how to do it. And even simple thing is, like, costuming can, can bring people into the world rather than just kind of, like, mm-hmm. calling something immersive and throwing them into and I mean, an art I think installation. That's like it's not even just how it's not even just like how to make something immersive. It's why do you make something immersive? Right. Right. Like why? Why is this why story or this show like? Why does this have to be immersive? Like this sounds like this could be a beautiful thing for people to experience online in their own time. Like whatever. Mm-hmm. Like if it doesn't have like why? Uh, why are you telling a story? That's I mean that that's got to be your first question for any writer, any director. Like why? And then why immersive? I think is another huge question and. Again, we're living in an age where immersive is a buzzword and increasingly now we're coming out of COVID life. People are going to want engagement. People want the interaction, the, it, the actual immersive stuff that we all know and love. And so people, I think, are too quick just to slap that word on it and call it immersive without actually understanding what it is or why it is. Um, it, it, just to jump on that one, I, I saw a beautiful show called Speakeasy. Uh, it was lovely, but it was a cabaret show. Uh, it was like a burlesque cabaret. <laughs> it was great. Like, like as a burlesque show, wow, talented performance, amazing. But they had slapped this immersive label on it. And so immediately I'm di- left disappointed because I'm going, this isn't that. Now, if you wanted it to be, we could do that. Like, talk to somebody. Like, it would take a rewrite and a rework and it would take time, but we could make it immersive. But if that's not actually what you're going for, you actually just want to just slip, slip the word immersive as a marketing ploy. Um, and that's a different com- conversation. But yeah, I think as we're coming into this new, uh, this is a new wave, I think, of immersive um, post-pandemic. People are wanting it. People are wanting engagement. They're wanting the one-on-one interaction. They're wanting the advocacy. They want all of that to happen. We, as reviewers, we need to be responsible to, to readers and, and listeners to like tell them this is it or this isn't and creators need to be responsible about thinking why they're making the work and why they're trying to make it immersive and i'm going to piggyback on that because it goes back to something that both of you have said it's not just why tell the story and why is it immersive the third one is also who is this for and i do think we've had a lot of problems um i mean again holding space for how amazing the uh, different creators were in pivoting and moving their work online and how challenging that was. But I think whether it's remote or in person, there's also a consistent issue or there's enough of a consistent issue around also feeling like the creators know who this is for. And that's tough. Yeah. And that's tough. And that can change and shift over time. But I think that's such a such an important point for creators. Like who who is it for is it just for if it's for you then that's a beautiful project for you to do but isn't necessarily going to land with audiences um yeah i think that's a great point laura and i think those first two questions really help lead you to that place why tell the story why make it immersive i think Mm -hmm. that really if you're clear on again the intentionality behind the plastic bag store was it was so well done it was so carefully thought out it was so carefully and beautifully designed so i think that in a way, when you answer those first two questions very clearly, um, you know, very specifically for yourself and for your team, it then 
well, A, I would say, you know, it leads you to that question of who it is for. And I think that it also can even potentially open up who it is for. Um, like, again, I would say because this was so thoughtfully designed, the plastic bag store, in a way, I think that the people that you might initially think the target audiences would be, I think because it was so well done, it was so well crafted, and they were so clear on what the story is and why it's immersive, I think it actually opened it up to other audiences that had it not been so well done, those people would never gravitate towards it or they wouldn't resonate with them. So I think it's a, it's a two-part thing. It becomes much clearer and it potentially is even expanded when those first two questions are so clearly and specifically answered. I think that's, that's something I've been coming back to for a couple of years now in, in immersive theater is kind of that intentionality. And I think sometimes it's an instinct for people to slap the label on immersive or just to like, we can have an interactive show without thinking through kind of the whys behind so much of this. And it's, I'd be curious, again, coming out of the pandemic as we kind of return to to in-person work, how that kind of affects some of the this thinking. Because I think it's sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not. And I think it, it really is the difference between like a show that's like, yeah, that was fun. It was kind of immersive versus walking away and being like, holy shit, that was like, that was a great show on whether it's like tending to scare you or kind of uh, kind of foster that empathy or kind of touch you on an emotional level. Um, I think immersive can do all of these things, but it does need that kind of thought behind it. And it's, I think as we kind of see with this show and even Plastic Bag Store and Know They Self, like it's so important to come, come at it and like understand what your show is doing at a very basic level that, that I think makes it really thing. Exactly. All right. So, does anyone have any kind of closing thoughts on on any of these shows, immersive in general, or uh, anything? And then we can uh, head towards a wrap up here. Um, I, I'll just jump in that I'm excited that immersive is coming back here in New York uh, again. It's the stuff that we've been saying for the last uh, last hour now. Um, like, we're not trying to dump on creators like we love you we want you to succeed like anytime we want to see, we go to see a show we want it to be amazing like we always want it to blow our socks off um and so i think that's just the thing is like as we're creating new stuff as you are creating new stuff um if you're going to call it immersive then let's really think about why let's think about how you're doing that as well i think once you've done those qu two questions uh the three questions that laura has mentioned the next one is how how are you going to instigate that um is that going to be through uh actor interaction? Is it going to be through walking through a space? Is it going to be through audio means? Is it going to be through VR? All those are valid. All those are great. Um, but think about how you're then going to implement it. That's the next step, um, which uh, we'll, we'll talk about in our next 101 session on uh, on fixing <laughs> immersive. Um, but but it, it, it is great. Uh, like New York is starting to come back to life and things are coming back. Um, and it's exciting. I hope uh, plastic uh, plastic bag store will come back to New York. Like that would be great. It sounds sounds yeah. beautiful. I hope so too. And I will say just to again piggyback on the how, which I think is such a crucial question. And we saw that we saw that during the pandemic, creators that were very intentional around which platform or platforms they were using to deliver these productions. And some were so careful and so thoughtful and utilized different platforms um, or you know, the functionality of different platforms in unique ways or in ways that really served the production. Um, I was going to say one other thing about, oh, Plastic Bag Store is also a great example of 
because of the pandemic, because it was slated to open pre-pandemic in Times Square, the puppets were going to be performed, those stories were going to be performed live. And I love puppets. I would have just been ecstatic to see, especially this level of puppetry, um, this kind of talent and expertise in person. But in a way, and Robin has talked about this a little bit, um, they so so it was not in the original design to film these puppeted stories and that came on because of the pandemic and she has said that in a way it i don't know if she actually said better that it makes it better but um but she may have but i think that the point is a here was potentially a happy accident and then they were very very careful about how they filmed it. And I think that it brought in, I mean, obviously I don't know what the live in-person experience with the puppets would have been, but I think in a way the filmed, uh, these, these sort of short films was almost an even better presentation. At least for me, again, I felt like it took nothing away from the experience. And now having gone through the entire experience, I think it was additive. I think it allowed them to do certain things via film that would not have been negative in any way in person, but it allowed for a more fluid experience. You're going from these three different films very seamlessly, and so you're really immersed in the world. The narrative is, you're, you're held in the narrative. So I also think that as people are, are assessing the how, um, maybe even especially now that we've we've been through the pandemic or we're, we're still in it, but, but having to shift and potentially reconsidering, taking time to be like, well, this is our initial instinct, or this is what we initially believe the design wants to be, but are there other options based on how we know now that we can utilize these different platforms or how a medium might be better in a certain situation than we previously thought? It's a little bit more flexible. So, I think that's been, that's another thing with the plastic bag store that I thought was, um, I never ever would have thought that the puppets were supposed to be originally in person. I thought the filmed aspects were seamless. That kind of comes back to this kind of intentionality like point we've been talking around too, is that a, a good creator will kind of take those limitations and use it to benefit the show rather than like having to subtract or kind of take away from it. Um, right. And I think that that matters a ton as kind of creators approach yeah. approach their work and, and finding ways to use those. What seems like a blocker and, and using it to benefit the show, whether it's the space or the size or the audience or whatever, um, and just kind of finding ways to adapt that into ways that make it better or more interesting or kind of more approachable or anything along those lines. Yeah, exactly. And I, I just want to close out by saying, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about uh, theater coming back to immersive theater come back um we're starting to get word of some of the spooky season stuff in la gearing up for kind of september october november that time range and i am very excited after missing out on that last year because that is a a fun la tradition all right so we can we'll uh call it a, a wrap on today's review crew and we'll see everybody next week uh noah will be hosting so uh Tune in then.